video is particularly appropriate. I suspect some of you have been seeing the same stuff that I've been seeing on the news about how they're offering us counsel because so many people have been home for so long that their pets have gotten used to it and they're worried about the pets having anxiety when everybody goes back to work because the pets have begun to think that the whole world revolves around them and um, reality is going to come crashing back in. Continuing to talk about core values for Christ followers and again last week we jumped ahead to look at core value number five because it was Father's Day and number five is honor your parents and so we're going back and picking up number four. Um, Rachel called it a special day for God. I'm referring to it as holy, holy, holy and Rachel has already read the passage in Exodus chapter 20 uh, verses uh, 8 through 11, but we're going to walk back through it to, uh, just uh, very, very quickly. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And again, I just want to pause there. I'll probably say this again in just a moment. Uh, why do we need to remember something? Good point. In all probability, we're being told to remember it because we've forgotten it. All right? Uh, so remember the Sabbath because we have a great capacity to forget the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But, on the, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, uh, nor any foreigners, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And I want to start uh, by emphasizing that this core value, core value number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, is often misused, it is seldom understood, and it is commonly underappreciated. And that's just my personal experience. Um, when I think about this core value, I think about don't work and do go to church. That's what most of us have been conditioned to think about. And I just want to mess with your mind just a little bit and say, just because you don't work doesn't mean you set aside time to connect with God. Fair enough? But I also want to say, just because you attend church does not mean you set aside time to connect with God. That's right. We refer to it as a day of rest. And some of you know I'm in the season of life where I begin to think a little bit about retirement. <laughs> and I can tell you that if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, well, I can worship God at the lake, <laughs> I could probably retire right now. <laughs> All right. I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God in the garden. I can worship God at the shrine of Serta. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But do you? All right. I get it. We can worship God anywhere and everywhere, and we should. But the question is, do we? And I want to say this, and I don't know that I've ever said this before in 40 years of preaching from a platform. But what if remembering the Sabbath is about more than worship? 
What if there's another layer or element to it? Today I want to challenge us not to be distracted by the don't work and not to be distracted by the rested on the seventh day. Instead, I want to challenge us to zero in on remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And again, I've said this countless times over the years. Holy means set apart for God. Rather than focusing on a set of rules that we should and shouldn't do. And again, I've learned lots of lists over the years. I remember hearing someone say the, the church environment they grew up in was you couldn't do anything on Sunday that made you sweat. Well, some of us sweat just putting on our shoes, so uh, that kind of narrows it down. You couldn't do anything that sounded like fun. Well, how is that honoring God? But rather than focusing on a set of rules about what we should and shouldn't do, what if we were to take an honest look at our lives? and say, when, where, and how do I regularly and intentionally set apart time to specifically focus on God and deepen my relationship with Him? When, where, and how do I move away the clutter and zero in on that connection? For some of us, that is probably a foreign concept, while for others of us, it probably seems just plain unrealistic. So what I invite you to do is fasten your seatbelt, put on your thinking cap, and join me for a brief off-road journey of the mind that starts with a word picture from my past and concludes with a word picture that I hope will change your view of what it means to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I want to go back in time. Um, does anybody remember something called slow pitch softball? I don't know if they even do it anymore. I, I don't know because that's just so far in my past. But, but for those of you who don't remember slow pitch softball or are too young to remember slow pitch softball, I'm going to say from the 70s through the early 2000s, slow pitch softball was something that, and please understand, I'm, I'm shooting at myself here. If I shoot at you, I'm sorry. It's not intentional, but it is. Um, but slow pitch softball is something for aging men and women who still wanted to be part of a team, who still wanted to compete, who wanted to think they still had it athletically. <laughs> But they didn't necessarily have the physical abilities or the skill set to play real baseball or even fast pitch softball. So they created slow pitch softball. And it had a bigger ball. It was thrown nice and slow so that everybody could hit it. And they even had an extra person on the field so no one had to run too far too fast. <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience, it was great for massaging aging egos. <laughs> it was good stuff, all right? I tried to get Diana to let me dig out my caring community softball shirt. Some of you, like 
maybe Spence is the only one, maybe Dan, but I used to wear these really cool red shorts when I played softball. Uh, yeah, we weren't going to do that to you, but I thought the shirt might have been safe. But anyway, so that's slow pitch softball. Now I want to talk about a moment in time from my slow pitch softball career. In the late 70s, some friends from church invited me to play on a team that they were on. And these people were, again, massaging our egos, and they were pretty competitive. So before every game, and there were at least two or three games a week, before every game, there would be batting practice. And again, for those of you who didn't have the experience, batting practice consisted of the pitcher pitching as many pitches as rapidly as he could, the batter just continuing to swing, and they weren't paying attention to anything else. And the people out in the field would just throw the ball back up, get it close to the pitcher. So all he's doing is just pitching, pitching. He's not even looking around to see where it goes. The batter gets X number of swings, then it's somebody else's turn. You can push everybody through very quickly. One day I was shagging balls out in the outfield while my friend, the one who recruited me to join the team, was pitching batting practice. On a particular occasion, he was pitching batting practice because he had a broken finger on his throwing hand, but he could still lob it in there so everybody else could hit it. And that was safe for him to do. And I'm out in the outfield, and I get one, and I lob it back up, and the goal was to lob it up there, have it bounce a couple times, and roll close enough to where he could pick it up and keep pitching. I lobbed it up there. And then everything slifted to slow motion. It's called time dilation. And I realized as this ball's flying, I might have thrown it just a little too hard. And I'm watching it. It seems like it's taking five or ten minutes, but I can't speak. And it's just going, and it's just getting closer and closer and closer. And I watched helplessly as that ball, perfect heart, hit him right on the end of his broken finger. He went to the ground, and I immediately felt like I was going to throw up because I really felt bad. So, why that story, and what does it have to do? <clears throat> I'm getting choked up for his finger here. <laughs> Why that finger and what does it have to do with the Sabbath? A couple weeks ago, I was minding my own business and someone in my life who was concerned about my physical, emotional, and spiritual health innocently lobbed a book in my direction. I'd had it for a couple days. And I hadn't opened it. But, and, and this is important. But then there came a day, actually two days, they were agonizing, where our internet didn't work. <laughs> and I had terrible cell coverage in my house during those days. And so I have a morning routine. Some of you know me well enough to know my routine is my routine, and don't mess with my routine. But because I didn't have internet or cell coverage, 
it messed with my routine. <laughs> so instead of my normal morning devotional routine, I'm just sitting here drinking my coffee, and I see this book, and I think, I will read this book. <laughs> and then as I opened it and started to read, I felt like my friend getting hit in a place where he was already hurt by a ball that he never saw coming. <laughs> the book was Subversive Sabbath. The Surprising Power of Rest in a Non-Stop World. And to give credit where credit is due, the author is A.J. Swoboda, and the forward is by Matthew Sleeth, M.D., and those will both be relevant in a moment. Friends, I wish I could tell you that that book has transformed my life, and that the Sabbath now makes perfect sense to me, and that I perfectly apply it. But to be honest with you, my finger is still throbbing from the initial strike. However, it's given me a word picture that I'm hopeful will bring transformation. And I'm hopeful that you will wrestle with that word picture as well. I don't do this often, but I just ask you to indulge me as I read a few excerpts from the book. <clears throat> In the prologue, the author writes this, and it's interesting because Rachel used these words. The Sabbath is a gift we don't know how to receive. In a world of doing, going, and producing, we have no use for a gift that invites us to stop. But that is the original gift, a gift of rest. Of course, at the world's beginning, God finishes the very first week by extending to the whole creation a gift, a day to stop, breathe, cease, enjoy, feast. God named it Sabbath. That Sabbath time, or that Sabbath day, time honored and approved, has sustained and nourished human communities and all of creation since the origins of the world. Still, like many of God's gifts, we have struggled to receive it. In church life, we bicker over its validity. We argue over what day Sabbath has to be. There are denominations based on which day is the Sabbath. We get trapped in Sabbath rules and nuanced doctrinal rationale for why we no longer need to seriously consider it. We start whole denominations, like I just said, we start whole denominations over Sabbath disagreements. We fall into the same trap time and again, not knowing how to enjoy a gift from God. When all is said and done, the worst thing that has happened to the Sabbath is religion. Religion is hostile to gifts. Religion hates free stuff. Religion squanders the good gifts of God by trying to earn them. Which is why we will never really enjoy a sacred day of rest as long as we think our religion is all about earning. There is nothing, this is nothing new. Hostility towards the Sabbath has flowed in the churches and the world's blood for a long time. Many early church fathers, such as Justin Martyr, saw the Sabbath day as a punishment for the Jews, who he believed needed a day of obedience to be reminded of their depravity. 
But is the Sabbath a punishment? Others have rejected it lock, stock, and barrel, regulating it to the status of relic, antiquated, arcane, unworthy of contemporary consideration, an idea from our distant pawn shop of doctrinal beliefs. Others dismiss it as an idealistic, if not impossible, practice. Who has the time for Sabbath anymore, anyway? They ask. I'll sleep when I die. I mean, if the devil never rests, why should I? But these hollow notions are based on human reason rather than God's good word. The Sabbath provokes, excuse me, the Sabbath proves awkward and awkward fit in our fast-paced, work-drunk, production-obsessed world. Yet whatever skepticism we harbor toward the Sabbath, such disdain is not shared by the Bible, Jesus, or much of church history. God's story has fundamentally been a story about a simple gift of a day of rest. In case it's not uncomfortable yet, I'll keep going. Sabbath is that ancient idea, and this is from the author early in chapter 1. Sabbath is that ancient idea and practice of intentional rest that has long been discarded by much of the church and our world. Sabbath is not new. Sabbath is just new to us. Historically, Christians have kept some form or another of the Sabbath for some 2,000 years. Excuse me. But it has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. <clears throat> the result, our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We have come to know Jesus only as the Lord of the harvest, forgetting that he is also Lord of the Sabbath as well. Sabbath forgetfulness is driven so often in the name of doing stuff for God rather than being with God. We are too busy working for him. This is only made more difficult by the fact that the Western Church is increasingly experiencing displacement and marginalization in a post-Christian secular society. In that, we have all the more brought into, bought into the notion that ministering on overdrive will resolve the crisis. Sabbath is assumed to be the culprit of a shrinking church. So time, poverty, and burnout have become the signs that the minority church remains serious about God in a world that has rejected him. Then, as in case it wasn't uncomfortable enough, because we pastors rarely practice Sabbath, we rarely preach on Sabbath. It was interesting. When I began to get my own financial house in order, and I began to seriously embrace the biblical principle of tithing, it was much more comfortable to preach on tithing. I have a file cabinet with literally hundreds of sermons in it. Okay? I don't even have a file folder for Sabbath. 
And that's on me. That's not on me. Because we pastors rarely practice Sabbath, we rarely preach the Sabbath. And because we don't preach the Sabbath, our congregations are not challenged to take it seriously themselves. The result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. <clears throat> And this is from Forward, and again, as I mentioned, it's written by a doctor. And again, this is a lengthy passage. Just take a breath with me. All right. This is the word picture that I want you to wrestle with. And I will tell you, it is a word picture that continues to make me really uncomfortable. So, misery loves company, so I thought I'd share <laughs> As a physician, I've listened to thousands of hearts. During prenatal exams, I've heard the rapid swish swishing of babies still in the womb. Often moms and dads burst into tears when they hear their child's heart for the first time. I smile at the strange murmur of those thumb-sized hearts that those thumb-sized hearts make when they are born into the great big world. Fetal shunts closing of their own accord as the baby breathes independently for the first time. I listen to the chest of three-year-old children as they inhale deeply and then wonder whether the man in the white coat can hear their thoughts through those tubes in his ears. <laughs> I've listened to athletes' strong, slow hearts. I've heard asthmatic hearts pounding away in fear and the muffled sounds of failing hearts. I've listened to the hearts of saints and of murderers. I'm in the first generations of physicians to ever listen to the heart of one person after it's been transplanted into the body of another. Doctors and nurses listen to patients' hearts using a stethoscope. Although this is convenient, it's not necessary. In fact, the stethoscope wasn't invented until a generation after our country became a nation. For thousands of years, physicians listened to hearts without the aid of a stethoscope. They simply laid their ear on the chest of their patients. <clears throat> now, it is only children who lay their heads on the chest of their parents to listen to their beating hearts. My daughter used to love curling up in the big green chair by our fireplace in winter and falling asleep listening to my heartbeat. These days my children are grown. I'm still close enough to them and hug I'm still close to them and hug them every time I see them. But it's only my little granddaughter who's falling asleep on my chest now. Or so I thought. Last week my son dropped by our house after a long shift at the hospital. He flopped on the couch next to me. And within a few minutes, he was asleep, his head resting on me. He's no longer a pediatrician at the university hospital. He was just my little boy resting in his father's arms. I had just finished reading Subversive, Subversive Sabbath, and I got to thinking about our exhausted world, laying our heads down and hearing heart sounds. These thoughts led me to the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. The story of the Last Supper. 
The chapter begins with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And again, you can picture that imagery. Later, Judah dashes, Judas dashes off to betray Christ. The chapter ends with Jesus giving a new commandment to love one another. But midway, midway through, an extraordinary detail is recorded. Here we see the portrait of a commercial fisherman with sunburned skin and callous hands. His name is John, and he's a man's man. Jesus called him a son of thunder. Normally, John conveys an image of courage and strength. But at this moment, he appears like a little child. In John chapter 13, verse 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. There, in the middle of the most extraordinary events in human history, is a man listening to the heart of God. Don't you wish you could lay your head down on the maker of the universe and just listen to his heart? Don't you wish that you could lay all your problems down for just a moment and rest on Jesus? Wasn't when I read that, I just sat and I tried and tried and tried to think of the last time I just sat and listened for the heart of God. I will not attempt to speak for you, but I can tell you that I love the Lord. I study Him often, I strive to serve Him faithfully, and I actively worship Him, corporately and privately. But I am very hard-pressed to find a time that I can say in recent memory that I simply rested in Him and listen to his heartbeat. And that's on nobody but me. So, when I think about a biblical command to remember the Sabbath, I find myself thinking, instead of rules, regulations, and expectations, what if core value number four came to represent nothing more and nothing less than building rhythms into our lives that create space for us to intentionally rest in Him to the point that we can hear His heartbeat. Not about what day, not even about what I do. Friends, I can take Sunday as a day off. Well, you can't take Sunday. You can take Sunday as a day off. But that doesn't mean I've rested in Him. Where do we create that space? What if that is what it meant to remember the Sabbath by keeping holy? in our always connected, high-tech, fast-paced, frenzied world. Father, I have no idea how others here are processing that image. 
But when I think of you as our loving Heavenly Father, when I think of you intentionally giving us a gift, I have to believe that your heart breaks to see our frenzied activity when you just long for us to take a moment to be intentional about creating space in our lives where we just rest on your chest and listen to your heart. And Father, I think about us as we raise our children in this fast-paced, go, 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 go world. And realize, without our fully understanding, that we're setting them up just as we've set ourselves up to just be exhausted. So Father, rather than feeling guilty about going to church or not going to church or whatever we do on any given day of the week, I pray that you would stir in our hearts to remember the Sabbath by being intentional to create that space where we can come into your presence and rest in you.